Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. It's been a while since our last podcast, and much has elapsed in Sefer Shoftim as we continue to move ahead each day by one parak. In the time since we last uh, spoke, we encountered the great prophetess and judge Devorah, who together with the general Barak were able to rally a broad coalition of six tribes to defeat the Canaanite population and kingdoms living in the Jezreel Valley in the north of Israel. We have the famous story of Sisra who flees and finds his way to Yael's tent who lulls Sisra into a false sense of security, has him fall asleep, and then kills him in a very violent way. So it's a narrative that's marked by two great heroines, Devorah and Yael. Uh, The narrative progression then um, subsides as we are introduced to Shirat Devorah, the Song of Devorah, which is a high point of Sefer Shoftim, uh, praising Hashem and singing uh, praise for this tremendous victory. And then after that, Devorah um, uh, provides this period of quiet for the land. And then as we are in Sefer Shoftim, the B'nai Israel continue in the inevitable cycle and unfortunately veer back into sinning and straying from Hashem. And so this time Hashem sends Eastern uh, nomadic or semi-nomadic people from Midian and Amalek to tyrannize a large swath of Israel as a result of uh, the B'nai Israel's sin. It's in that context that we meet Gidon. Gidon is charged to lead the fight against Midian. He's very hesitant to do so and it requires a, a series of miracles to fully convince him that he has indeed been given a, a divine mandate to lead the people. But once he's convinced, he is a, a successful leader. He's successful in driving out the Midianite people. So much so that Ben Israel ask him to essentially become their king. They say, Mishal banu gamata, gam bincha, gam ben benecha. Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson. They wanted dynastic rule. They don't use the word king, but to say rule over us, you and your children and your grandchildren, it, it sounds a lot like they're asking for Gidon to become their king, but Gidon declines. And he says, Hashem is your only Moshel, uh, Hashem is your only ruler. And that seems to be the end of, of, of that idea. Of course, as we will find out in a moment, it's not quite that simple. But first, we'll just note that Gidon at the end of his life takes a wrong turn and he makes some sort of gold tunic, which then becomes a fetish, an item of uh, worship by the people of, of Israel, and concludes his life on a bit of a sour note. In any event, Gidon dies, and that brings us to our Perak, chapter 10, chapter 9, which is definitely a low point in a sefer that has many. Gidon is survived by 70 sons for many wives, and despite his apparent refusal to become a dynastic leader, there seems to still be some assumption that his children will succeed him. And I say that because in addition to the 70 sons, he has yet another son from a concubine whose name is Avimelech. Avimelech is a power-hungry and wily character. He goes to Shechem to try to generate um, support. Whenever you hear the word Shechem, the place Shechem in Tanakh, that should raise a red flag and you should be on alert that something bad may be ahead, and that is certainly the case here. Avimelech goes to Shechem, that's where his mother is from, and so he goes to his mother's kin, his, his clan, the families that he has, that he's connected to in Shechem, and he tells them, do you want to be ruled over by 70 children of Gidon, or do you want me to rule over you? And 
at least I am one of your kin. I'm one of your people. And so the people of Shechem throw their support behind Avi Melech, and they give him funds from the local uh, Avodah Zarah, from the local idolatrous temple. And he uses that money, this campaign money, and he hires a band of thugs who brutally kill all of the 70 children of Gidon, leaving Avimelech in power. He does, however, leave one child over, not on purpose. One child escapes. His name is Yotam, who, before escaping fully, gives a stern warning to the people of Shechem and basically says, in the form of a mashal, worth looking at and studying carefully, but the, the punchline of the mashal is, look, you are putting your faith into Avimelech, and you're choosing a leader who is, who is bad, who is violent, and now you're going to see, ultimately, that you're going to suffer the consequences of this decision. That's his, um, that's his mashal, that's his warning, and it's essentially a curse that he gives them, which will ultimately come true. Sure enough, uh, after Abimelech secures the kingship, an individual named Gal ben Eved turns Shechem against Abimelech, who in turn comes back and kills Gal and many of the people of Shechem, all of the leadership of Shechem, and in the neighboring areas as well, killing over a thousand people. And so ultimately, they're having uh, thrown their weight behind. Uh, Avimelech ends up hurting them as they are, you know, Gal comes, foments a rebellion against Avimelech, who then in turn kills Gal and kills all of the people uh, who initially were responsible for making Avimelech uh, the king or the leader in the first place. It's worth noting that Avimelech himself, in an effort to kill uh, all of these people, is himself killed by a woman who drops a large stone uh, on his head. And as he is uh, mortally wounded, and before he could fully succumb to his wounds, he asks uh, one of his uh, sidekicks, one of his servants, to kill him quickly so that he shouldn't die the inglorious death uh, at the hands of a woman. So again, we had Devorah today, we had Yael, and now we have this unnamed woman who is uh, responsible for killing Avimelech. And that's the end of Avimelech's rule. This is a story with pretty much only bad people. <laughs> the people are either bad or they're worse, with the exception of Yotam. And I want to make two points. In my introductory Nach Be'iyun Shir, uh, discussing Sefer Shoftim, I presented the idea that one of the major themes of this book is the need for a king. In the last section of Shoftim, when things go from uh, from bad to worse, the refrain is that in those days there was no king, which drives home the notion that B'nai Israel really need a king, that things got so bad because B'nai Israel did not have the king that they so badly needed. But I think the message is complicated by the Avimelech story, which argues the opposite position. Like I said, Gidon was not a king, but he was close to it. Even though he turned down having a dynastic position of power akin to kingship, nonetheless, there remained an expectation that his children would succeed him. He still seems to serve as a kind of quasi-king. Plus, we know that names in Tanakh are often replete with meaning, and Avimelech means my father is king. So even if the people just use the word Moshel, uh, it's still clear to us that what happens to Avimelech is a kind of cautionary tale about kingship. The Gidon story is the first foray into pseudo-kingship for the nation, and things turn out very badly. 
Of course, we know, or we will know soon, that this violent jockeying for power after a king's death is not unique to Avimelech. Uh, it's a recurring, a recurring story. So I read this parak together with the preceding prakim about Gidon as a first failed attempt at kingship among the Bnei Yisrael. That's point number one. The second and final point that I want to make is, is to note that this episode is unlike anything we've seen before. Up until now, the enemy has always been a foreign entity. This is our first example of a corrupt and truly bad Israelite leader, which is interesting in and of itself, but it could also cause us to pause and rethink whether in fact Avimelech should be thought of in that way at all. Is he actually an Israelite leader? After all, his mother is from Shechem. Shechem is not conquered in Yehoshua's time, and the Canaanite population there uh, stays put. They don't leave. And it seems clear that the people of Shechem in this story were not Israelite. After all, when Gal ben Eved tries to rally Shechem against Avimelech, he says, Who's Avimelech that we should serve him? You should be serving a son of Chamor, i.e. Chamor from the story of Dina, from Shechem and Dina. So he's telling the people, uh, seemingly, he's talking to Canaanite people who are descendants of Shechem, why should we be ruled over by an Israelite? We should be ruled over by a Shechemite. So the people of Shechem do not appear to be Israelite. And of course, it is uh, the people of Shechem that are, uh, that are viewed as the, the people, the family, the kin of Avimelech's mother. So if Avimelech's mother is a Canaanite, is from Shechem, so then it would seem that Avimelech himself is either a Shechemite or is some sort of marginal status, uh, not quite uh, a f- fully Israelite. And so... Perhaps we could view this whole story as a, almost a, a, another wave of non-Israelite tyranny over the people of Israel. What's more, I think that if, if we consider the unique status of Avimelech, we, we might actually have a, a little bit more of a sympathetic reading of him, recognizing that he was not viewed clearly, as we saw from Gal ben Eved's uh, address. He's not viewed as a fully fledged member of Shechem, but also as the child of a concubine from Shechem to Gidon, as a kind of half child. He he may also be on the margins of Israelite society. So it could be that Avimelech uh, becomes Avimelech uh, because he is so marginal, and and perhaps that's what's driving him. Perhaps that's a little bit of a window into his psyche and uh, a little bit of a window into the making of a monster in what amounts to be a low point, though unfortunately not the low point yet, of Sefer Shoftim. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.